0: Welcome to From Nowhere to Nothing, ontological oxymorons, a philosophy podcast about big topics and bite-sized pieces. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a graduate student in education at Liberty University, and with me is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of philosophy and English at Genesee Community College. Today we'll be talking about free will, the ability each individual has to make decisions for themselves. While this topic seems fairly straightforward, I have to warn you, it can quickly become nuanced and mind-boggling. The good news is, if you decide the conversation isn't for you, you can choose to turn the podcast off at any point. Or maybe you can't make that decision. Maybe if you take the action of turning off the podcast, that action has already been determined for you by the past. In order to figure out if you're capable of making your own choices, you're better off listening in so you have all the information before you make your decision. Or at least you think you make it. Okay, so. As the intro shows, free will is a bit of a complicated topic. We'll start out with the aspect of it that everybody's most familiar with and is really still to this day the biggest you know, debate in free will, which is the positions, determinism versus indeterminism. Can you kind of outline the two camps there?
1: Yeah, so determinism, ultimate determinism goes back to the Big Bang, it says that From the moment the universe emerged cause and effect there's the causal analysis if you could do it back that far would say that every cause has led to an effect that led to another cause led to an effect that ended up with uh, me deciding to drive to your house today to your home and and to and to do this that that uh, it was all determined by pre-made decisions that themselves were determined by all the way back to when i was a child and and didn't know that i was going to be interested in philosophy but somehow a whole series of events led to that <laughs> okay um and then there's a variety of that called uh, physicalism which you and i were talking about before we started recording which is that neurological activity actually determines
0: what we do so physicalism is part of determinism so it's kind of like that same argument, but in a nutshell. So as opposed to the Big Bang, you're going to have some kind of electrical impulse that leads to some other, you know, synapses and neurons firing in this part of the brain and then this and it's a cascading effect into action. Yes. Yes. So your physical being itself um, biologically determines.
1: Okay. And then indeterminism, which is just a sort of a different word for free will, says... I'm an autonomous being. I I have agency, which means that I can I can take actions regardless of what is taking place around me that that I don't have to I don't there's nothing that says that I have to be of uh, those actions are already made for me. And uh, because I might look at something that's happening saying, nope, I'm going to do this. I'm going to turn left instead of right, because I just decided to turn left, even though everything wanted me to turn right. Okay.
0: So I think most people who are going to be out there listening are going to think, oh, well, that's what I believe in. I believe in indeterminism because I am inside my brain and I'm thinking and I'm deciding I'm going to look left and I do. And it happens. So I had I had a choice to do that. Whereas this determinism stuff sounds really far-fetched. Like, okay, so you're telling me that every single thing that's happening relied on all these other things happening before it. It seems wildly improbable that, that you know, you'd set up the... Uh, you'd build this giant house of cards, and then they would all fall just so. But... And yet,
1: and yet... <laughs> If one thinks about it, why do we make, you know, I'm jumping the gun a little bit here, not jumping the shark, but jumping, you know, why do we make a decision? You invited me very kindly to do this a year ago. It took me a year to to get into a place to to be able to do it. But I wanted to. And the wanting to kept approaching me until we finally made it happen was it going to happen because you kindly asserted and and i wanted to and therefore we made it happen or did events in our lives take us closer and closer to the point where we could actually make this this happen i i think if going back to the big bang thing yeah probably i get you know that 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 seems almost absurd and i'm totally with the idea of the big bang so but but the idea that events shape us and interact with us and tend us toward things there's takes us to a middle ground the middle ground is called compatibilism
0: right yeah and that's where we're that's where we're going to head to next is is compatibilism and and this is something that i'm still kind of shaky on you know doing the research for this episode because there's different shades of compatibilism and you know sometimes they refer to it as soft determinism and this sort of thing and i'm like okay, well. This this seems to make sense some, and then you read the cri- criticisms of compatibilism, and you're like, well, no, I'm not sure. And so I think that that might help too if we if we went over the criticisms of the different um, viewpoints. If you wanted if you want to explain compatibilism first, then we can do that. But then I think we should go back and s- and say what the criticisms of each theory are. Right, I,
1: we should. And and I want to hear what you've been finding. Uh, so compatibilism, at its most simplistic, is the middle ground between the two things. So essentially, it says. Uh, Is just in sketch a sketched way. Some things are determined. Some things are open to us to make choices. So let's let's take an example. We've talked about religion before, so uh, and I think it's it's very viable to do that in the sense of the story that everyone knows. We don't have to go into esoteric stories. So so you know, the Adam and Eve story. All right. So God creates. heavens and the earth and and creates this utopian garden and creates man and and woman and says the only thing you mustn't do is eat from this tree eat the fruit from this tree which is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or the tree of knowledge all right and so we know how the story plays out but did eve it's and it's, you know, it's always the female in mythology and folklore and sacred text that, did eve cause did she choose to eat from the tree of knowledge or was she predetermined to do so in order that everything else could happen in the in the creation of god if eve hadn't done that if adam and eve had stayed in the garden there would never have been need for Jesus Christ down the line. There would never have been need for a new covenant. There would never have been
0: all of that story. Yeah, you could even say there wouldn't even be a need for the human race because I think that the initial um, purpose for the creation of Adam and Eve was essentially so God could have some company. Uh, Well, yeah, yeah, okay. So, and, and and, yeah. Yeah, so that's an an interesting story because you had the angels, you have all of these beings, and what separates the human creation from the angels is that the humans have free will. So the the entire biblical story and the story of humankind within a biblical context is comes down to the the notion of free will.
1: So yeah, right. So you want to make so God lets you, let you have the capacity to make the right decision mm. or the wrong decision. That's compatibilism in the sense that of if now I'm going to back away, and I'm not going to be insulting anybody because we know I've done this disclaimer before, and I and I mean it. It's not deriding a story. But if we just even back away further, if you have a being who knows everything, omniscience mm-hmm. can know past, future, and everything in between. And Saint Anselm and 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 many others were found all kinds of ways to say that. Well, yeah. God is, uh, is outside of time, or God is inside of time, and, and all those kind of things, but there's still the idea of omniscience. So if God is aware of everything that happens, past, present, future, then there is some kind of deterministic element to all of that. But if we get to make a decision that somehow changes that, then God already knows the changes that have happened, so that the outside of time determinism exists, while the inside of time free will exists and there's that
0: compatibilism right again so you you've jumped ahead again so now we're half uh, we're half <laughs> we're halfway through the podcast and we haven't hit the 10 minute mark no 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 we'll uh we'll go back and we'll hit everything but i think that this is an extremely good thread and this is where i wanted to, to take us eventually uh-huh. is um that that idea of religion and what that the philosophical implications of religion um with free will and religion See, you know i'm um, omniscience and and predestination in philosophy and these sort of things because like we were just saying if if uh, the entire framework of the religion is based off of the idea of free will um what does what does the idea of an i you know an omniscient god how does that play in and is it so like you said is so is the idea of an, an omniscient free god and humans with free will is that an example of compatibilism, or is that a contradiction? Can you actually not have it?
1: You know, it, uh, often it's an interesting question because often I, th- I think it's unavoidable to recognize the contradiction. But when, whether you're t- people who believe and it's not theoretical, or people who take it as theoretical or you know, possible. If such a being exists, we can't know what it's like to be such a being because we do not have omniscience. We can talk about omniscience in the abstract, but we don't know it. However, I would say that, uh, and this is, we had a chat a while ago about being a a parent and now a grandparent. There is a very strange thing that happens as a parent, and I can't speak for all parents because I'm not omniscient, (laughs) but, but... where there's a, a dilation uh, or a conflation a compression all at once of time so that when I see my adult child who's out in the world plying his craft uh, honorably and his and his wife uh, who's doing the same thing but when I see them especially him but her because I've known it for a long time when I see them there's this, this um, hall of mirrors kind of strange special effects thing where i see all kinds of stages of his development every time i look at him it's a, as if once now it's not like psychedelic you're seeing all of these all of you know it's not that strange but yet all the moments you can't remember all the moments but select ones just pop in you you see them even as you're having a conversation and and so there's a kind of seeing a cause and effect of where your adult child came from and and what might have led to what and you don't know it but you speculate about these things what did I do there that might have led to this but then of course you're not responsible for everything that happens because many outside factors happen too well okay so let's go, go back to God for a minute so God creates everything the deists as we've talked about before said that God created everything like the machine the clock set it in motion then went on to do other interesting things stood back Okay, so in any machine, and you know machines well, and whether it's musical instruments or sound creating devices, a machine will do things you didn't expect. Mm -hmm. There are glitches. Yeah, there are surprises. Why did that happen? Even if we made the machine, okay, that's where I think the compatibilism happens. If you make a mechanism. You know all the pieces of the mechanism. You have constructed it bottom to top and set it in motion. And if it can still do things you didn't expect, then there's some kind of opening for surprise. And that's what I would call the compatibilistic free will.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm not a high-end scholar on this, so I'm just talking you know, in primitive fashion. But, I, but to me, that, that's the space that opens up.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's a really interesting description, and that's definitely something I can relate with. Right before we started the show, I went to try to record and I had this strange pause and then I stopped it and I hadn't recorded the couple seconds that we had we had just done and I I mean I I didn't build the computer, but I did assemble it myself, and it's worked, you know, correctly in every other instance. But here we are on the you know, 2,346 time I've tried to record something and it did something strange, you know, and I can't explain why it did it, you know? So, and I'm sure that there are laws and, and theories that govern how the computer works and that say, okay, well, if this happens, then this should happen. And if we send an electrical signal from the motherboard to here, to this, to that, the other thing, then he should be able to record. But for whatever reason, that didn't happen in this case And it not happening didn't break the whole computer and everything's over, but it not happening led to an unpredicted outcome, you know? And it's, I think that that is a good, a good way of looking at it. It's not, those theories and, you know, equations don't work out perfectly every single time. But at the same time, it's not like I'm always experiencing something different every time I turn on the computer.
1: Right, right. right. So... So,
0: oddly, mathematically, the idea of probability is floating around
1: in this mm. discussion. Uh, so, would you say that some things in our life we are so in, are so ingrained by our parents that that stays there no matter what, even if we wrestle with it?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so. Okay, so
1: I might, without even thinking about it, react to a certain situation in a certain way because my parents taught me to do that by their own behaviors f- for the entire time I grew up with them. Mm-hmm. Now that was a long time ago, but I still have my dad and 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 I for a long time had my mom. and And I know that I would still think in my head, I wonder what they think. I wonder what they think about what I do. Mm-hmm which means, and I think most of us do that at some, even if it's a, so you know, if it's an unfortunately negative kind of circumstance with families of, well, I don't want to do that because my dad did that. I'm grateful that I'm not in that situation, but yet there are some things our parents do. We don't want to do, right. but you see, but then we're just deciding
0: based on what they did.
1: Right. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs>
0: it's an interesting thing because I feel like very rarely are there neutral feelings towards, one's upbringing i feel like I had, a, I had a great upbringing my parents are awesome and in most cases you know i'm trying to emulate who they are as people but there's there's only two categories there's that 98 percent of things where i'm like man i'd really like to be like my mom and dad and there's that two percent where it's like you know what no matter what i'm not gonna, gonna do, do that. anything right. that they did you know but whichever way you slice it you're right they're having they're having an influence on how i'm living now and as a result how my future is determined to some extent yes and there's the compatibilism and, yeah so it's not it's not completely determined right. but i am taking that large section of my past and integrating a, a big chunk of it into how i'm living now and into the future so that's that's awesome i think that of everything that i've read i think this discussion we had right now was the clearest idea of compatibilism that i've had so (laughs) so i hope that i hope that helps people out as well um let's revisit um determinism and indeterminism real quick and talk about what do people say what would be the arguments to against determinism and indeterminism
1: All right, so we've talked about a lot of different people and I'm I'm not going to just like toss names out right left and center but m- m- let's think about uh Plato for a moment. Plato and his the ideals, the forms. Okay. So if there's an is an ideal guitar in the universe, uh, and every guitar that's actually iterated in in physical terms is a flawed version of that. We can recognize it as guitar but not capital G the guitar. So the determinism would be that that perfection exists and we keep trying to reach for it, that we must reach for it. Aristotle, uh, after Plato, uh, the the Nicomachean ethics, when he was writing uh, essentially the book of ethics for his son, is saying that we naturally tend toward the good we 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 sometimes stray but it's just human nature to want to do good and if we're not doing good it's because we just don't understand the situation enough it was very ideal in, in some ways if we would just be able to understand the situation well of course we'd do the right thing because that's what humans would do It's beautiful. And it's, and it's what we, you know, but I think most of us in the
0: 21st century would say, um, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting. I was actually thinking about this exact thing. And what's funny about it is I didn't think it would pop up in this podcast. I was just thinking about it as I shovel in the driveway this morning. But all of a sudden it popped in my head like, you think of Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, or Bob Ross, or Mother Teresa, or whoever, you know, pick your, um. Here. just yeah and what you'll find is everybody loves these people find me one person that doesn't love Mr. Rogers you know but how many people are trying to live like Mr. Rogers lived you know even if I look at you know myself and I feel like without without being boastful I'm somebody who does try to you know become a better version of myself constantly and does try to do good things I still don't find myself anywhere near trying to emulate that, the kind of behavior that I admire so much. I do these other things. And if you look at, like you were saying, 21st century society as a whole, I don't think that we do see that. So the question is, like so maybe back in, in Plato's time, everybody, society was more you know, more um idealistic
1: or self-improving oh, oh but i'm going to st- i'm going to slide this in just to make sure we don't try to uh, give the wrong impression sure everybody who was of the dominant elite educated right. wealthy political culture which is to say a fairly small number of people mm-hmm. who could go to the uh, who could study with plato yeah or, or work with socrates oh okay but then slaves women the poor.
0: Nah, they're not part of that game. Right. And so <laughs> this brings up um something that it just got me thinking. So Plato's thinking that there's the capital G, you know, or the you know, the the idealism in the sky that everybody is gradually working towards you know but I think that looking at modern scientific discoveries and the way that society reflects it now you'd almost see it the other way around. Rather than something that's out there that's perfect that you're working towards, people more look back at something that was worse but is being improved upon. In other words, biological or evolutionary determinism. Mm -hmm. We have these things built into our genes through thousands or millions of years of um, evolution and Mm bioprogramming. And as a result, we're trying to break out of them to become more idealistic creatures. Or, or, take, or take
1: control, or attempt to take control of evolutionary forces. They've, so evolution is blind. So it, it runs into walls, dead ends, we, we know these things. But, then we have transhumanism. And we've talked about that before. Well there's, you see, there's the compatibilism I think happening again. We, we exercise the free will we think to try to improve ourselves because we are developing the capacities to improve ourselves perhaps faster or differently than evolutionary forces. Mm. Now, determinists would probably say something like. <sighs> The evolutionary force is what ended up having your mind become the way it is so you could develop these tools. And therefore, it was inevitable that sooner or later you're going to develop tools that are going to be able to affect things on a planetary scale. Right. So, nah, you think you have free will, but no. The, the free will said, like, nah, I made this, I'm making these special prosthetics, I'm making cybernetics. No evolutionary force caused that. How do you know that? And then the compatibilist would say, okay, yes, so evolution has led us to this moment, but what we do with this moment. Is, is perhaps up to us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that now we're starting to get a little bit into that, that quagmire that is really great and engaging about the, the free will argument, which is where almost, you know, like I said at the beginning, everybody I think identifies with the indeterminist viewpoint when they start talking about free will, because it just seems natural to think I'm making decisions. But really, the determinist um, the determin you know the ter- determinist sort of viewpoint says whatever decision you're making, no, there was all of these things that led up to you making that decision, so you didn't you didn't make a decision you're just acting, you're just playing your part in the and you're, and you think that you have it
1: you t- t- take it from a, a sociological viewpoint, you immerse somebody in a culture. we all are immersed in a culture of some kind, a society with with rules, regulations, uh, definitions of what is normal, definitions of what is not. And, and those thankfully change, but they change through social evolutionary forces. Nonetheless, people <laughs> think about people who say contradictorily or, or behave that way. Just they'll say, everyone's an in individ- an individual, but you better be like us. <laughs> Right? Okay. Uh, it's sort of like uh, the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is special where the Hermie the Elf and Rudolph team up. with uh, Let's be independent together. <laughs> uh, you know, so we, we claim we want individuality, but we want everyone to toe the line on this is what America is supposed to be as an example or mm. to choose your country. Well... No. If you if you are growing healthy, th- th- to be patriotic is to question, but not for everyone. For a lot of people, to be patriotic is to do the exact opposite.
0: Mm.
1: Well, if you're doing the exact opposite, then you're being governed by the forces that have already been set in motion. You're not thinking about them, you're just going
0: along with what's always been. Except it wasn't always. <laughs> yeah, so I think, I think what we've dis- established over the past 10 minutes or so is that determinism... Can take a lot of many different forms, whether you're looking at it from a, a metaphysical level, you know, the big bang happened and all these things mm-hmm. happened, or uh, a by you know, an evolutionary perspective. Well, humankind took this course, which is still within the meta, they're all it all fall within the metaphysical sort of you know frame. But so you have that the evolutionary aspect, you have the social. The social evolutionary aspect of human interaction and so you have all of these things and a, a political you know all of these things are have forces so but it, it that almost seems contradictory as well so if all of that can be explained by the metaphysical sort of framework then that should be that should be it the big bang because the big bang happened the way it happened now we are the way we are now we hate gay people <laughs> you know, like, but,
1: but 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 thankfully, not all of us do because we have wrestled with that
0: right but so, if we look at it objectively, though, we can see well, no, because there's evolutionary differences, there's social differences, there's political differences, but all of those things still fall within that metaphysical thing, so it's it's almost this weird. Like you were saying, I think when, when you talked about you know seeing your kids grow up and, and your grandkids and things, it's that same thing where eventually, if you live long enough, everybody has that experience where you reflect on something. And like you said the time, dilation and the stretching and compacting, all of these things. And you realize, to you, it seems like nothing has changed. You seem exactly the same, but you've seen somebody be born and grow up and do this and do that. Yes. And it all seems like it happened at that moment but also over the course of a long period mm-hmm. and it's that same sort of thing it, it it's like this freeze frame where you know just the whole the whole thing you can see well it seems like this caused this and this and this but it's all within the, the idea of this one timeline which actually isn't time it's space and they're one thing and it <laughs> is <laughs> is it one moment or yeah. is it 13 yeah. billion years who knows yep but it's really a a strange thing so what what is the argument against that it seems like such a you know we started out at the beginning saying it's free will i make choices and now we've gotten to a point in the conversation where it seems like no it's impossible to make choices everything is already set in stone so what are the arguments that say no it's not set in stone Uh,
1: at the risk of 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 making you sigh, I think we we should work at it from the point of a what-if or or a scenario.
0: Okay.
1: So because I'm a certain age, because I'm 61, uh, I have, well, since I was 50, interestingly, living in the the Western New York culture, not everyone's the same, and thankfully that's the case, but there are social expectations. Many, many, many people make a big deal out of turning fifty. And one is takes pause and says, Why? And then there are parties where people have, you know, they, they wear black to mourn and, and people give them ridiculous presents that, that celebrate the, the coming of age, bedpans and silly things like this, and uh, sometimes walkers, and to joke about age, but somehow at the same time to say, you ought to be thinking about this now. And one says, why? And then you turn, uh, you turn 60 and then people start to say to you, Are you going to retire soon? Are you thinking about retirement? Why? And you start looking at the social determinism, which says, well, at this point, this is supposed to happen. At this point, you're supposed to feel X. At that point, you're supposed to feel Y. If you are part of the culture, this is what you do. This is just part of the process. And I'm here saying, why? You know, so I think there's the free will aspect. I'm not denying that I'm 61 or somebody's denying that they're 50 or anything like that but but there is no there is no compelling reason at least to me to 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 say well because I've reached that age I must act thus nonetheless a lot of people for all kinds of reasons either cave to that or nece- or, or more necessarily feel that People have worked really, really hard at, at an intense physical labor without being able to take care of themselves or don't, or don't have the capacity to have the medical care that they ought to have. Um, age in different ways. Genetics determines some of what's going to happen to us from the viewpoint of illness. That's a, de- that's a determinism. That's a physicalism. But even so, uh, if you look at someone like... Uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, marvelous, marvelous Buddhist, ma- major philosopher, who, uh, in in ancient age, uh, still says, no, you don't have to do it this way. It's possible to be beyond your body. It's possible to 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 not be governed entirely by your physical self. And that's, I think, maybe one of the most profoundly important um, aspects of free will. Okay. You can choose
0: to change your mood. So, yeah, that, that makes, I think that makes sense to a lot of people. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, determinism is going to, to stick with that argument. Well, because you chose to do this thing, it has something to do with your past. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that when you really get to that sort of stubborn level, you can start to rely on science to to vanquish a little bit of it. You can there's been studies done with twins who were separated at birth, who share all of this stuff, and and you can see, okay, well, yes, they had a lot of similarities, even not being together, but they did do different things. They did do these things. Or twins, you know, who did stay together and did different things, you know. So these people that share the exact same dna so up until the point of their birth they're essentially the exact same person they're carbon copies it'd be like if i built another copy of this computer and we ran them at the same time they're not going to have a, a glitch at the same time or they're not going to operate exactly the same way
1: i wish you would i don't know if you can but we, we were talking about an interesting story from your own experience before we started
0: okay
1: which i think is an excellent illustration of exercising free will when training, the determinism of training based on past practice was overridden
0: by a judgment call. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, Yeah, so when I was doing some training for the army, we had an exercise, and you know, we're doing a combat exercise, we're running around, everybody's you know, shooting and whatnot, and there's... you know, you get trained to do certain things in certain instances. And it's not really, it's not like the movies would have you believe. Because in the movies, the action hero is always ready for every single circumstance that presents itself. I'll tell you right now, it's not the way the army trains. The army tr- teaches you a very small number of skills, but then they ingrain them in you so that any time those situations pop up, you're ready to do that thing that they taught you. Improv, you know, improv is not a huge part of <laughs> military training. So we're doing this combat thing, but the counter to that is is the fog of war. This idea of if you have a lot of distance or a lot of um, explosions or a lot of adrenaline, if you have all of this extraneous load happening, um, it's it's really a, a a fight between all of those external distractions or internal distractions and that training that has been attempted to be ingrained in you. And if that training is not working, then the entire thing falls apart because this guy over here is relying on you to do something. That guy over there is relying on you to do something and if you don't do it, then it's like dominoes. The whole thing falls apart. So we're doing this training exercise, the whole thing falls apart. So, the sergeant calls it off, pulls us all in, and, uh, you know, yells at us for a long time about all the things we did wrong. (laughs) But then, you know, we do some push-ups. And uh, after that, tells us a story about, you know, being in Afghanistan and how, um, as a a young soldier, like, at the stage in, he was at the stage in his career that we were at at that point. um, You know, he was in charge of a checkpoint in Afghanistan on a bridge, and uh, you know the orders were to not let anybody pass, and they had a, a standard operating procedure of what sort of actions he was supposed to take if some, somebody did approach the bridge. So as he's standing there, um, a car comes driving towards the bridge at, at a high speed. So he has you know, a glow stick or a flashlight or something, I don't, I don't quite remember, but he starts waving it over his head, and that's his first step to tell them to stop. And the car doesn't stop, and it doesn't even slow down, it continues driving. So his, his next option is to fire off his rifle in the air. So he, he fires off you know, three shots in the air to get the driver's attention. Still, there's no reaction. Comes driving at the same same speed. Same everything. So he goes to the next step, which is to shoot in front of the car. So he shoots off a few shots in front of the car to let the driver know don't come any further. You know, the car continues to drive. The next step for him was to eliminate the driver. To stop the vehicle from moving any further. Um... So there's been policies written, standards established, things put in place to say this is what you need to do as a next step. And regardless of whether it's a five-year-old kid driving the car or whatever it is, you are exempt from any consequences because you followed the actions that were put in place to make you responsible. But he said... He wasn't sure why, but he just knew that this driver didn't have an ill intent. So he didn't shoot him. He held off, and the driver pulled up to him, and it was just some Afghan dude, and they were speaking a different language, and he had no idea what was going on. And the sergeant you know, told him to turn around and drive away, and he did. And that was that's the end of it. Very anticlimactic, you know? But, yeah, but in that moment, you know, every... It, it's, it's, a, it's a showdown, you know, because this guy who's driving, his life is on the verge of ending because he's making decisions that he's unaware of. But the sergeant's life is also at risk of ending if he's making the wrong judgment about what kind of person this guy is. And you see how all of what we've been talking about is,
1: is a marvelous story and built into it. So the driver... Was making decisions he doesn't know he was making. Well, that's either physicalism, neurological determinism, or or socially uh, trained because of the milieu, the environment, the, the the place. You know, if guns are going off all the time and buildings are are in collapse and and so it's normal to have soldiers walking around firing and and people shooting guns. And that's normalcy, then what tells you to stop? I mean, if, you, if your training has been socially, experientially, this happens all the time, then where's the, where's the, the warning message? Whereas for us, the, the, the light over the head, the light stick flashing, and, and the, the gun shooting in front of the car and so on would seem to be wake up. You right. know? But that's us. And 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 we, I'm grateful to say many of us were not in that situation growing up in those in those ways. So that was a different kind of normalcy. Your the the lead actor in this story that you just told had uh, looked like to me. It sounds like to me, exercised extraordinary free will. On the surface of it, he he bucked his training. Or he used his training to say, nope, making a judgment call, but if that judgment call was so fast he didn't even know why he made it, if he couldn't honestly articulate why he knew that this was or thought he knew, there's epistemology, why he intuited that this was not
0: an enemy. Yeah, because that that's I that's part of the story that I, I told the first time, I forgot the second time, that's important was when he called called us all in and told us this story, you know. He stopped after he said he shot in front of the car and he said the next step is to shoot the driver. What would you do in that situation? You've already had two more seconds to think about it than I did. You know. And so, yeah, it's in that case, making making a decision is a different thing in a in one sort of environment than in the other, you know. And was he
1: bound to make that decision because of the the way that he grew up because of his genes, because of his training, because of his uh, whatever intelligence, his social emotional intelligence, all of that cluster of things, did that, did that require that he make that decision? I would say probably not. I think he. that's, to me, that's where the, the electricity jumps from the synapse
0: <laughs> across yes. the gap. Yeah, if you look at the whole background of the situation... Um And I won't go into it a whole lot, but, you know, his upbringing, his background, the entire military institution and how often they encourage free will, Um, how often in a combat zone with firmly concrete written SOP, they encourage free will in that scenario. I think you're exactly right that making a decision to go against that, that's one of the most unlikely places to find free will, you know, based off of all of those factors. You're making a decision to eat a
1: piece of fruit because you want knowledge.
0: Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. an
1: extraordinarily, because there's this being that you, you know, going back to the story, this being that made you, brought you into existence. Okay, well, we can get away from Adam and Eve again just go to parents. Parents say, don't do this. Don't do that. Here are the rules of the, and whatever. However, and still children will of course say maybe right. maybe I will maybe I'll try it right okay and, and because wh- because if they didn't would they be beings that we would
0: even recognize right yeah you're almost you're just kind of robots at that point so all right so i think that that, that was really great we we established some sort of argument against just hard determinism. Um, but I think that the question that arises from that is now going the other way. Is indeterminism even possible, or is it all compatibilism?
1: To me, I th- if, if you're asking me personally, one person having messily thought about this, I think compatibilism is probably all there. It's probably the most compelling zone. And it would be easy for somebody to say, well, yeah, that's the gray area, that's the in between, but so many things are. Yeah. Because I can't righteously say that, uh, even on Maslow's, if you, if you think of Maslow's hierarchy, and you certainly are in, in your studies, know this. So the self actualized person, mm-hmm. we, we know that we aren't all self actualized. All the time. If we were, we wouldn't be. We'd be a completely different uh, uh, social creature. Mm -hmm. Maybe we'll get there, but but we aren't. We have really low moments. We crawl around in the mud. We do stupid things. We. And how many times do we say, "I don't even know why I did that"? Right. There's a key towards some deterministic element.
0: Mm.
1: I, I don't know where that came from. Well, if somebody studied you from a distance for a while from a duck blind, they could probably point out to you, "Well, you did this, this happened, this happened and so there is some to me some determinism, but no we don't act, we, we don't act out of an autonomous total agency all the time because we acquiesce freely but we think so. You know, we always tell stories. Of, uh, no matter what workplace we we're in, we 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 narrate about our, our our heroic adventures at the workplace and how we stood up to the boss and this, that, and the other thing. Well, that's human too. It's good over a beer, but and and sometimes we do those things, but not nearly as often as we like to think right. we do. Uh, because if we were that way all the time, there wouldn't be an institution. Institutions are built whether the army or college or whatever to have acquiescence toward a set of uh, established and agreed upon to, to, you know, in one way or other agreed upon principles, you sign on, you contractually say, I will sign on for this because I can accept these principles, but built within to the principles are options to make decisions based on your training. I hire you as a teacher. I hire you as a teacher with this amount, of this experience and these qualifications and these degrees and mastery and so on to put you in a classroom with a group of people at knowing that you're going to apply your craft and I will trust that you're going to apply your craft as best you can unless somebody tells me that they're not. But that implies a set of autonomous decisions constantly that themselves arise out of some more deterministic training, and that's what you were describing with
0: with with the the army situation. I think so. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, just because I have no doubt that there's some people who started this podcast that, like I I've said it several times now, were would be staunchly free will, just intuitively. And now we've gotten to a point in the conversation where, for all intents and purposes, it looks like pure. Indeterminism, pure free will, just isn't a possibility. There always is gonna be things that determine, if not a specific behavior, things that determine a pattern of behavior or a tendency to think a certain way or to lean towards a certain way. Not to say that you can't go against that tendency or you can't do these things, but you're fighting upriver is what it is. You know? It's like I think of my stupid cats. You have these you got you know you have cats and sheep one of them's really good for herding and the other one's not so much you know each each you know each type of individual is going to have tendencies and then how they act on those tendencies are you know some of it is up to environment or genetics or these other things and some of it some of it might be up to them making actual
1: yeah, here, kitty, kitty. I love my cat, but I won't. I don't think I would love my cat nearly as much if my cat behaved the way my dog used to. And I loved my dog. But All if right. I if I say to my cat, "Come on, come on off my lap," the dog would have been there instantly. The cat looks, looks away, looks around, <laughs> wiggles his ears, and and that's the charm. Right? right? Rousseau, Jean Jacques Rousseau. He's if he's probably the the person that most whose work has stymied people for centuries, still does. Because he seemed to say in his work, just very, very briefly, at at the first part of his work was, and people read and misread and tried to understand because, and and I don't begin to understand him entirely either, but the the early part of the work seemed to indicate that to be truly free was to uh, to go back to being the most natural being that you could be, free of rules, free of... Immediately after that, uh, in his, he writes about uh, the social contract. And in Rousseau's ideal world, in the social contract, you cede not just to obeying rules, you give up your very self to a highly rigidified uh, Christian-oriented, uh, dominated culture. You do not make decisions. I'm oversimplifying, but it's essentially. And, and what Rousseau seemed to say in his letters and to uh, and, and in his later writings is, to him, there was no, no contradiction. Everybody looking at to say what the, the natural and he said no because to be to give yourself utterly to a culture, to a societal institution is, is to then be totally free because you have all of the potential differences between you and everyone else have been evaporated you're ab- absolutely equal because none of you has anything wow. so so free will is to give up free will so you can be free <laughs> uh, i mean it's mind bending stuff
0: but you know at the same time looking at it on an individual level okay well to this guy based off of his genetics, his social upbringing, his situation—that is a a choice to have that sort of thought that doesn't really make sense to the rest of us. So, let's let's talk about is mind-body duality something that plays into this at all? Yes, I'm nodding. It's on the TV. Yes,
1: yes, mind-body duality. because of the physicalism aspect. Because people who say, starting with Descartes and but all the way up through, if there is a ghost in the machine, if there's something that's totally insubstantial, unmeasurable, a soul, whatever, um, you cannot prove any causality that that insubstantial, unmeasurable, unseeable thing has caused. X, Y, or Z. You, you can talk about soul all you want, and it's fascinating. And I, you know, we say, well, but there is a soul. How do we know? Because somebody told us. Okay, okay but that doesn't hold all that much water. But I, but I intuit it. I feel it. I just know it. Epistemologically, that doesn't hold much water either. But okay, but we still accept that sometimes. How does my soul make me do what I do? What are the mechanics? Even if they're metaphysical mechanics, if you if you take three seconds or two minutes and you look at that, and you and you have to, if if you're, I I think if you are a, a humble enough rational being, you will have to say, well, okay, yeah, this is pretty flimsy. I still believe it, <laughs> but why? <laughs> I I you know, so so mind body duality when there's total separation of the two things would indicate. That we are accepting that something that cannot possibly be seen, measured, or ex- experienced in any, in any uh, shareable way is governing things, okay. which is what leads to the neurocognitivists. Uh, yeah, that's uh, what I was
0: just about to segue into was, you know, knowledge of free will, science, you know, neurology and psychology findings. Um, and what they say about mind-body duality, what they say about determinism, indeterminism, and that sort of thing. Um, and it seems to be, you know, science like to think that it leans towards determinism. And because of these studies that they've done with, you know, the advanced technology we have now, fMRI and EEG and all these things, they can look at things and say, okay, well... You're about to say a certain thing or make a decision, but milliseconds before you do it, I can look at your brain activity and see that you're about to do that. We're, I was mentioning a study to you um, before we started this is that's brand new where they were able to look at people's brains using EEG and look at the, the different waves and tell by how the waves lined up if somebody is going to give a good or bad performance on something. And it didn't matter what the performance was, whether it was playing a musical piece or assembling a mechanical object or whatever it was, they could tell based on the brainwaves and the organization of the brainwaves whether the individual was going to be successful in that performance or unsuccessful. Now, scientists tend to look at that as determinism. Okay, well, despite your intent, you have an intent and a will, and this reminds me of the Schopenhauer our quote, but you have an intent and a will to do something. You can picture in your mind's eye playing the you know, the Star Spangled Banner like Jimi Hendrix on guitar. But then when you actually put your fingers and pick to the strings, that's not what comes out. And so it's determined. So that's kind of, that's, I mean, I don't know if you have anything to add to that, but I mean, that's essentially where science is at right now is they see that as determinism. And I'm not, something about that doesn't quite sit right with me, (laughs) but I didn't know if there's any philosophical framework behind it to say, well. There is, but, 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 and it would, and it it
1: would start to some extent by asking the question, why doesn't it sit well with us? Because that's really where Daniel Dennett and a number of the neurocognitive uh, philosophers would go. Well, of course it doesn't sit well with you because you want to believe that you have right. free yeah. will. Okay, first, there's first. Second, why else might it not sit well with somebody?
0: I think it's it's that, um, the the physicality argument. You know, I think that you'd like to think that the generation or the origin point of a thought has—I um, have some sense of control over that. I'm not just, "Hey, we're doing a podcast now." And then after you leave, if I play guitar, it's not because we talked about guitar in this podcast. It's because I had a new thought saying I would like to play guitar now, and I think that's that's yeah. the sticking. And point. so you had so you had a new thought now. Whether that new thought.
1: See, I think what what really bothers people, the, the philosophers now would say, what you know, if we're being honest with ourselves, what really bothers us is to think that that new thought, which may be a free, could be argued to be a free, yeah, I chose to do this. Okay. But if it all comes from the physical th- being, that's the the really hard sticking point for people who say, no, there are things beyond this physical self there must be things beyond this physical self or i want there to be things beyond this physical self or any combination of of of, of that kind of response you know and i get that yeah. i mean every one of us i think at some moment or other has this longing toward immortality we have this longing toward it's got to be something more than 70 or 80 or 90 years right you know, this vast universe, really? That's it? It you know the, that that just seems unkind. That seems you know or, <laughs> that seems absurd. But but if we put that aside, and the neurocognitivists tr- try to get us to put that aside to to see that for what it is, and say, well, of course we all long for this, but really, does it diminish us in the least mm-hmm. that we learn to play guitar because our body, our chemical processes are. Leading us to that do we still not create wonderful things we create artwork as you as you have done I I go out to my my study sometimes I walk away from the computer I go out to my study I sit down and today's the day that I'm going to make this piece of art now I've been thinking about it for a while but suddenly there it is. this is the moment I do it. Was that determined? If it was it's so subtle to me I can't imagine why in the chaotic life that I live at some point I say I need a different change of pace so I'm going to go do that but putting my hands onto the pastels, onto the paper, however egregiously awfully, but it it feels wonderful. I do it, but did it have to happen at that moment? I don't think so.
0: Yeah, and I think that kind of this, you know, what it comes back to is I know how to play guitar, and that is somewhere in this three pounds of meat that's up in my head, but I'm not a diesel mechanic, so I can't, although I can have that thought of, I'm going to play guitar now and do it, and think of that as being a free choice, I can't have the, the thought of, you know what, I'm going to uh, tear apart and reassemble a transmission and then just go out and do it because that's not up here yet. It can be, I can learn to do it, but that having that origin thought versus have, being able to go and accomplish something is different. And I think that's what the science is saying. The science is just getting down to, you can have these thoughts, but the execution is different. And so, and again, that brings in the mind-body-duality thing. My brain, or you know, my I can picture something happening, and yet not execute it here, right. and that that right. brings you know that comes back to our our sense of self and all our knowledge and everything it, it, we think. It about. does because we still don't know what consciousness is. We can
1: take pictures, we can yeah. take snapshots, but that's that's akin to some, taking a snapshot of this blob above a swamp and saying, I don't know what it is. It must be a UFO because I just, I saw it. I know I did. And well, you saw something. Right. Your brain's making of it what it wants to your imagination. but So yeah, I don't, it doesn't, uh, the consciousness and the self, whatever that is, and we've talked about that before, we don't
0: know what that is yet. Yeah. and, And that's what, that's what the final question is today is, I was asking does consciousness create the illusion of free will? Is, is that, and I mean, that's what our conversation is, is culminated with. That's what, they, that's what the Dennets of the world
1: would say, yeah.
0: Yeah, the first thing I thought was people consciously find incompatibilism logically intuitive, so in order to avoid fatalism, they naturally assume free will. And I think that's what we've been talking about the whole episode, you know, is essentially you hear about determinism of any kind, whether it's physical or or you know, the cosmic or whatever, and you you wanna fight against that because, like you were just saying, if you just accept that, then you're just a a, a cog in the machine, and you're a very, very small cog. You're just an 80 year long cog that might work nine to five and never really, you know, no, you know, nothing, nothing, nothing happens, quote unquote. But I think that that's where the perspective and and you know, looking at, you know, what's important in life, you know, really comes in and how you make meaning of things. But I think that that is a, a big part of that. The other thing is consciousness itself seems to be antithetical to determinism humans can look into nature and make accurate predictions based on past events but even with accurate prior data human behavior can't be entirely accounted for and that comes down to predictability versus predetermination i think and that i think that that is that's the key thing that we've struggled with this, this whole kind of conversation is predictability versus predetermination. At what point does being able to say somebody's going to do something mean that somebody is going to do something? And that's, I think of sociology in this a lot, as, you know, like you look at shirt. like the bystander, <laughs> bystander effect. If you see somebody getting murdered, you're more likely to jump in and do something if you're by yourself, as opposed to if there's a group there, because if there's a group you're going to automatically think somebody else is going to jump in, somebody else is calling the cops, somebody else is taking action, so I don't have to. This is a observed scientific phenomena they've replicated the studies over and over and over again, and it always happens that exact way. The more people you have, the less likely it is to take action, but the less likely doesn't mean somebody isn't going to that's that's true so but the argument
1: the scientific argument about that, and this goes to the singularity, artificial intelligence, algorithmic, uh, geometric progressions of algorithms. The argument is that if you just have enough data, then you will know. And what I, tickles me about that is to say, oh, yeah, yeah, so as soon as we get
0: omniscience, we'll know. <laughs> <laughs> <You Yeah>. know. <laughs> so if I've turned this computer on for four years and it just had a glitch today... If I were to turn the computer on for the rest of eternity and find out, oh, it glitches once every so many times, I'd, I'd be able to do that. What would it be like,
1: do you suppose? Now, th- this is going to seem like a question of apostasy or <laughs> heretical proportions. So uh, I, Joel's not a part of this. This is just me. But what what would it or must it be like? If you know that you have created a universe, if you know that you created beings who are going to say, nope, not doing what you said. And if you know that because of that, you're going to destroy your creation. And then if you say, I already know that I'm going to destroy it, but I also know that I'm going to rebuild it. We can't inhabit that space because we, that accommodates every possibility.
0: Yeah. It's something that I, I can imagine a two-year-old doing in make-believe, but not not yeah. in in all-powerful. Because you.
1: as parents, as a parent, because of seeing other parents, because of having been a child, you know
0: that a child is going to say no. Is going to do something, or a child's going to play and say, "I'm going to build yeah. this tower, knowing I'm going to knock it down, or I'm going to have these these pretend people, and I know that this guy's going to disobey." And this guy's going to do this thing, but then this guy's going to win. You have that pre, pre-thought right. out. But if
1: I have a child and disobeyed and then they have a whole bunch of friends and all of them are disobeying except a couple, what would society say of me if I said, I'm just going to kill all of them right, and start over again? Yeah, <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah, free will it's funny because that, that would be heinous yeah. that would be uh, you would lock me up in another dimension yeah <laughs> yeah
0: no it's funny because i think that well it, this has really been an eye-opening episode because even though i i planned it it really went to a lot of places that i i couldn't imagine and i think that the the most recent place is ethics like free will and how it relates ethically to um religion or society or these other things is a huge question
1: free will is built into virtue ethics probably more than other elements of ethics in the sense of free you act your ethics are based on who you are your characteristics the 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 idea of free will compatibilism those things are built into that because does that mean who you are is going to determine how you make an ethical choice? Deontology, you know, uh, what you're talking about from the soldiers, the, the, the duty. I have a duty to, to wave the stick, fire some shots, fire some shots in front of a vehicle, and then if not, kill the driver. Whether, whether I, I'm released from that because my duty is to follow those codes. And yet something arises and says, nope, not this time. So free will absolutely exists,
0: but but probably in the compatibilistic sphere. Wow. Man, that was a cool conversation, and I'm sure, I have no doubt that in future conversations, this is going to pop up and we'll reflect on it more, especially when we're talking about consciousness and ethics. So thank you for listening to From Nor to Nothing, Ontological Oxymorons. Recording and production are provided by me, Joel Bouchard, and the song featured in the show is Questions off my album Jaguars, which you can find on Spotify, or anywhere MP3s are sold. Until next time, keep pondering.